0: Forty-six of the 25 live. My name is Jim Bernick and my special guest this week is Matthew Broom. Now Matt is a firefighter paramedic for Gwinnett County Fire and Emergency Services there in Georgia. He's also the founder and financial planner at Forward Focus Financial Planning and he's also the host of his own podcast, a 2448 podcast in which I was actually a guest. So if you think I talk too much on my show, you should listen to that show because I talk a lot. Uh, that's actually available in the bonus episodes of the archives and on Matt's uh, 2448 podcast channel. But what we talk about is something that we kind of forget about, but it's it's quite a simple equation. Money problems equals stress equals health issues. So uh, money is something we just don't really think about, but if we are able to live within our means and, and have our act together early on, it's going to make life so much easier and, and I don't want to say stress-free, but it's going to reduce our stress, which also helps our health. So without further ado, let's bring Matt in. Welcome, everyone, to the 25 Live. My special guest this week, Matthew Broom. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Jim. It's good to talk to you again, brother. Yes, the tables have turned, my friend. They have. You're on the opposite side side for once. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, everything I do is centered around firefighter health and well-being, whether it's cancer, whether it's behavioral health. But a significant aspect that we don't talk about that really is pretty important for our well-being, not just while we're working, but after we're done working, is finances. You know, that could be uh, an extra stress that can kind of turn everything else, you know, make it go downhill if that's not taken care of. So, I so thought you're an absolute great person to kind of paint a picture of what we need to be doing while we're working and, and preparing for that future uh, and also do it in a way. So we're not having that stress, you know, that extra stress that is just really unnecessary. I mean, if you think about it, you know, domestic disputes, you know, just fighting over money, money is always at the root of a lot of things. And if that is not a worry, then things are easier. You're not that stressed. Yeah. You and I were just talking off air a second ago about,
1: uh, kind of my belief in how money pervades almost all areas of our lives. And you truly can't get away from that. You know, it's a part of your marriage, it's why most of us go to the fire department to make some money. It's not the sole reason, but it's a large part of it. It's, you know, we tie that church, we do all these areas, we spend money to go on vacations. And we, you know, we spend time with friends, uh, doing stuff that costs money, there's not an area of our life that money doesn't touch. And if it's one of those areas that uh, you think that it's too complex for you, or uh, it worries you because you just you just don't want to know, you want to keep your, your money problems in the dark, all it does is serve as an anchor to all those areas of your life, specifically what I, I think your marriage and your family uh, is where it's the biggest anchor. And that's one of those areas that you want you don't want to have to worry about money when you're going through marital issues. You know, a lot of times money is the biggest marital issue. So there's so many other issues to focus on in life that worrying about money is not the thing that you want to have to be dealing with in moments of stress. And if there's anything that, you know, we're used to dealing with in our lines of work, it's stress. It's constant, it's constant stress. We go to work and you're on edge because you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, if you're getting texts from your husband or wife or whatever saying, hey, the kids need this, the kids need that. We don't have any money set aside for it. It all just compounds over time. And I truly believe that all these things, there's a thread that runs through life that links all these things together. And if you're stressed over your money, you're probably gonna be stressed on the job. If you're stressed on the job, you're gonna be stressed when you go home, which is gonna lead to stress at the dinner table. And over time, all these, just like good decisions compound, bad decisions compound. So the earlier you can start making good decisions, the better off you're going to be. And the further you get down the road making bad decisions, the worse off you're going to be in multiple ways. Uh, I've kind of view health as like a three pillar kind of thing, physical, mental, and financial. People might think that's weird that I put financial health up there, with physical and mental, but I truly think it is such a big factor in those two other uh, factors of health that it deserves to be put up there. It's not something that, you know it's kind of like politics and religion, people who don't like to talk about it. Money has long been kind of thrown in that aspect or viewed in that aspect, and it hasn't served us well up to this point. I mean, people are drowning in credit card debt, plenty of firefighters are drowning in credit card debt. They're buying homes they can't afford, they're buying cars they can't afford, all these things that just bring stress in their lives. And it's really my goal to better educate firefighters, public safety personnel, police officers, whoever it is, in better ways to manage their money so that they can reduce the stress around their money, which allows them to be better firemen, better firefighters, better paramedics, better police officers, which then in turn allows them to be better husbands, wives, friends, daughters, brothers, all those things, because like I said, they are kind of inextricably linked together.
0: Sorry for the long-winded answer right off the bat, but (laughs) no, Hey, remember the tables have turned. You're allowed to do that. I'm the host that just kind of leads you places. Yeah. So, so speaking of that, how did you end up getting involved in this or how, where did you get this passion for finance from?
1: So, you know, one of those like green library lamps you see in movies, like it's sitting on the desk in the law library's green lamp kind of comes sure. over. Yes, and, you know, absolutely. It's like the cl- the classic movie lamp you see when somebody's pouring over legal documents or whatever. <clears throat> we had one of those on a little desk in the house that I grew up in. And I grew up in a pretty large family. There's I have four siblings, so family of seven. Uh, me and my brother grew up sharing a room our whole lives. My sisters had to share a room. The oldest got her own room, but it was very, you know, big family, tight knit. Money was tight. My, my mother mostly stayed home. My father uh, worked very hard for what we had, but I, I don't think he ever made an enormous sum of money on a yearly basis, but he, he worked his ass off for it. But one of my earliest memories around money was my mother sitting at that desk with that green lamp and she was doing like an old school line item budget for our household. And I don't know how old I was when I you know when this this memory that crops up in my mind. I don't I don't even know how old I was at the time, but it's so vivid in my mind seeing my mother sit there and do that household budget because we did not have a lot of money like we had to make every dollar stretch to make sure that you know everybody was taken care of. It's not like we ever went hungry or we uh were ever you know I always had a new baseball bat or something come baseball season and always had the opportunity to uh, play sports and do all these things. And we never really wanted for anything, but uh, I attribute that to my parents' diligence in managing every dollar they made. And it wasn't, uh, you know, we didn't piss any dollars away. There wasn't anything that uh, we could just cruise on by because we had that kind of money. And that's a, a very early vivid memory that, Looking back, I think it's been so influential in me because, like, my number one advice to people to get a hold of their money is do a budget. If you're not doing a budget, then that's step one because what you have coming in is, you know, minus what you have going out, that difference is the fuel to, you know, move your financial engine forward. So, that memory in my mind, I think, is the first thing that, for whatever reason, got me moving down that path. And I look back over my life and I see all these very influential areas Um, around the turn of the century, 2000, 2001, tech bubble. Uh, At the time, I was 10 or 11 years old, 12 years old. Um, I I didn't know there was a tech bubble at the time, but my father lost his job. We had to move in with my grandmother and to a very small home, like a thousand square foot home. There was me, my mother, my father, two of my sisters and my grandmother living in a three bed, one bath house. I was sleeping on a pull out couch for a year, going to a school that I hated with people that I didn't know. And it was a very influential time in my life being 12 years old and seeing how important money was as a part of that. Cause we had to sell our home. We, I mean, we were very you know tightly strapped for cash and the sale of our home helped us get by. But if without moving into my grandmother's house, completely reducing our expenses, you know, who knows how we would have turned out? We would end up probably foreclosing on that home, I would imagine. And maybe my parents will listen to this and shed some light on it because I haven't uh, talked to about it in at any type of depth uh, since then. But you know, the sale of the home, moving in there, allowed us to reduce our expenses. But it was, you know, I don't want to say traumatic, but it's that's certainly an influential experience in my life. Seeing. How much these careers and the, the income that we were making, how it had an influence on how you know, our family's well-being was. Uh, I, my parents uh, ended up divorcing a few years later, and I would say that this experience probably had a profound effect on them. Eventually, we got back on our feet. Um, we bought a home. You know, my dad got a new job, was making good money. We bought a home we probably couldn't afford in a nice area. Like it was a great home. I loved it. Uh, but it was, you know, looking back on it, it was probably too expensive uh, compared to what we were making as a family. And things compounded. Financial problems were, I think, present in my, my folks struggled and they ended up divorcing. And you want to talk about financial troubles, divorces almost always involve financial trouble. So my mother largely always stayed home with the kids. I mean, she raised five kids. We're all uh, by most standards, fairly successful folks. So I'd say she did a a good job, but that was her, her job mostly growing up. So, you know, they got divorced. She's having to go into the workforce. She largely doesn't have any marketable skills, certainly not gonna obtain any high paying job. My father went through a very tough period uh, where he lost his job and went through a lot of things. So we ended up having to sell that home, move into another home. Long story short, eventually all this stuff kind of weighs on me. I go to college. I leave. My mother has to foreclose on her home, financial troubles compound. And I get into college and I'm deciding what in the hell do I want to study? And I'm going through like a list. This is like, you know, first week of college at Georgia State University. And I'm going down through there and I see one called Business Economics. And I knew Georgia State had a good business school, so I was already interested in that. But my favorite class in high school was economics. Um, I, I don't know why. I, I just really, really enjoyed it. I was kind of weird. Like I started listening, my mother listened to Clark Howard all the time, which, if you're from the Atlanta area, Clark Howard's like the personal finance guru. You know, he's the guy everybody listens to on the radio. So I started listening to him at a very young age. First, just kind of, you know, tertiary to my mother listening to it, but then I actually started listening to it in high school, and I thought it was pretty cool. You know, hearing these people talking about how they're managing their money, and you know, like the folks who were doing well sounded happy. Like, and there's always that phrase of money can't buy happiness or whatever. But you heard people who were doing well with their money, and they sounded happy on the radio. And I'm like, what? Like, what is this? What is that about? Like, what? What about the money is? making them happy and kind of come full circle. Like it's, it's not the money that's making them happy. It's the lack of stress around money, which allows them to be ever present in their families and jobs and all these other areas that actually makes happiness. But I didn't know that at the time. I just thought it was interesting. So I said, what the hell I'll sign up for the longest degree program. Georgia state has to offer business economics. And, uh, that was that. So I started studying economics and really loved microeconomics. It's really cool stuff there. Because uh, it's practical, uh, real life economics, how do you know businesses operate? Really, how households should operate? And as one of my favorite authors likes to say, Nassim Taleb, it's uh, much easier to macro bullshit than micro bullshit. And microeconomics is largely practical, where macroeconomics is largely some sort of voodoo science. So I got really, really into microeconomics, game theory. That led me into this whole psychology thing and uh, behavioral finance. And that's kind of a, uh, an area of economics, which has grown rapidly, I'd say, in the last 10 to 15 years. But I just started reading everything I could about behavioral economics. And there's these awesome psychologists from like Jerusalem who are doing this crazy work, uh, Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman. They wrote some fantastic books. Thinking Fast and Slow is uh, probably their most influential one. I would suggest anybody go read that. But they're linking all the psychology stuff to how we make poor financial decisions, how we don't weigh the odds appropriately. We don't weigh the probabilities correctly. And it was just fascinating to me because I saw the economics in action and how we largely were doing it wrong. And while in college, I was, uh, I worked as a, a server at Maggiano's, which Maggiano's is a great restaurant. I made, for you know just a part-time dude working I worked uh Friday through Monday closed Friday night closed Saturday night open Sunday morning open Monday morning and you know I'd make seven or eight hundred bucks in cash over those four days go to school during the week it was a fantastic job I learned a lot about a lot of things working in restaurants but every day I was always like I said I was always listening to Clark Howard and I was I was on talk radio early on which probably led me to really get into podcasts later on but One day I was cruising through the radio and I came across a dude named Dave Ramsey. And everybody knows Dave Ramsey now. Uh, At the time, I think a lot of people knew him, but he certainly wasn't as big as he was now. And I started listening to this dude like religiously. Because going back to that library lamp, sitting on that desk, watching my mother do that budget, that's what this guy was all about. He was about doing a budget so you could pay down debt and then start investing for your future. And I'm, and you know, 19, 20 year old, largely immature adult uh, listening to this stuff thinking, holy shit, this is how I get ahead. And like, I've always had somewhat of an contrarian independent uh, mindset. I don't, you know, I, I think something's cool until everybody else does. And I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> it's not cool anymore. <laughs> you know, that's, I don't know why. That's just how I'm, how I'm wired. And I truly thought like, man, if I started doing this early, like I could get to a point in my life to where I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, because I want to, and not have to, you know, punch a time clock because somebody says I have to, or doing anything like that. That idea of independence and freedom was just such a um, such an empowering thought to have, and hearing people call in on Dave Ramsey's uh, radio hour, or radio show, doing debt free screams is like, man, these that's the first step to freedom is debt freedom, and it just it just clicked, and I knew coming out of college that I was going to have a certain level of student loan debt, and my. Uh, soon to be wife, I knew she had some credit cards and some things like that. So I was like, we talked about it. And, you know, we both knew day one, we get married, we're paying off all of our debt, we're laying a solid foundation, and we're going to build a solid financial house for our future. That is uh, going to keep us from ever having to, you know, sell the home and move into our grandmother's house or, or do anything like that. Like we were going to make sure that we were taken care of so that we could focus on raising a family. And these are all things that are, you know, five, 10, 15 years in the future. And that is something that is extremely hard for uh, I'd say specifically young men to do, especially young men in the fire service to think five, 10, 15 years down the road. I don't know why I could do that. I like, I don't, I was just wired for it, and I still think that way. Like everything to me is a long-term game. I don't think of anything in in short-term wins. It's all if a, a short-term win is normally a long-term loss, and that's how you should should view some of that stuff because over time, uh, your your inequities get shown. You know, if if you're making short-term sacrifices to you know get a little bit of extra money today somebody's probably gonna notice that and it's because you're you know, selling an inferior product or, or whatever. Everything should be viewed through this long-term lens and I started that at a young age. So we got married while I was in recruit school uh, at the fire academy. We gra- I graduated, uh, let's see, we did firefighter one, two. We got trained up to the AEMT level in like the first week of paramedic school. Uh, first or second week, I guess, we got married And I took like a Friday and Monday off, no honeymoon, no nothing. We got married. I was right back at the fire Academy. But over that first weekend, we sat down and we did a budget together. I know that sounds very romantic for your first weekend of marriage. (laughs) But, you know, we sat down and we did a budget. We laid out all of our debts and we said, okay, we're going to we're going to pay all this off and it ended up mounting to about $25,000. And at the time we were making a little over 50 combined and we were able to pay that money off our first year of marriage, $25,000 a little over the first year. I think it was like 13 months, but Holy shit. You want to talk about feeling just fired up. I mean, I I, it was like, as to this day, I remember my student loans were the last thing we paid off. And I remember making that last payment and sitting in a chair, very similar to what I'm sitting in right now at a desk. And I felt like I was floating when I hit that pay it off button. I mean, just skins tingling, hairs raised, you know, just larger than life feeling of like, man, we like, we just got married. We're, I guess, 25, maybe at the time, 24, 25 we're debt-free and we've got our whole lives ahead of us and we've got a long time to find success in our finances and like this, the sky's the limit now. And like, I've, I haven't been able to find that feeling since it was just unbelievable. I'm still running off the fumes of it to this day because to me, the next step is, you know, what I call financial freedom, or financial independence, to where you have enough wealth to where you can just do whatever you want. You know, you know, you don't have to show up and punch a time clock. If you want to, you can, but it's just about having options. And once we got that debt paid off, I got fired up. I started looking at, you know, the, our next step. We were following the Ramsey plan. We built up a, our emergency fund. We saved up six months' worth of expenses, and then baby step. I think four of that plan is you invest 15% of your income. And he lays out, Dave Ramsey lays out some of his investing principles. And I I wasn't sure if that was right, uh, his principles. And the way he says to invest is fine, but there's, you know as they say, more than one way to skin a cat. So I just started reading, learning. I I walked into the public library in uh, Flowery Branch, Georgia. And I hadn't read a book since, I had to cram for an exam in college, I guess. I mean, so just a few years prior. And it wasn't, you know, a book that I wanted to read. It was something that I was forced to read. And I read the whole book one night before the test, went and took the test, whatever. I'd never been a reader. I had never um sought knowledge just for the you know, just for the sake of seeking knowledge. And I remember that feeling of walking in that library that day wanting to find a book about investing. And walking over to that personal finance section and just almost recreating that feeling of paying off debt, understanding that I can learn anything I want to learn pretty much for free in this one building. It just takes my time and willingness to do it. And then I just started walking up and down all the aisles of the library. And like I was grinning, like, you know, uh, like a kid on Christmas morning. Like it was like, Holy crap! believable. All these books are here in one place for free, and they're just letting me check them out and read them and take notes and do all these cool things. So I was going to the library every couple of days. Just I'd read a book, I'd fly through it, I'd take notes. I I have notebook notebooks from six or seven years ago where I just take notes on these books, close it, go get another one, and. Eventually this led me to this thing called financial planning. I started reading books that were written by financial planners who work with individuals one-on-one with their money. And all these people had the letters CFP at the end of their name. I was like, what is what is that? You know, some sort of certification everybody's familiar with N R E M T P or you know, it's one of those kind of acronyms you put at the end of your title to show how how smart you are. So then I started looking into, well, what is that? And it's something called Certified Financial Planner. So I was like, boom, that's it. Like I need to become a Certified Financial Planner. That's like that just made sense to me. So uh, time, I drug my heels on it. I was continuing reading, just following everything that I was interested in. But eventually I enrolled in Certified Financial Planner coursework at the University of Georgia. It Took me about a year and pass the exam. You have to have three years of experience to call yourself a CFP. So I'm currently a candidate for CFP certification. And now I'm working with largely firefighters uh, on a one-on-one basis, focused on defining their goals, creating a plan and taking action and living a good life now, but prioritizing those long-term goals of stepping away from the fire service and being able to live a good life. You know, that next chapter that everybody's always waiting for and and kind of yearning for but they never truly plan for nobody knows what they want to do next and uh like that next part of life is a huge part of it so that's kind of the you know beginning to end story of where we are now
0: very nice now a few things i guess um first of all it's clearly listen to you that everything you went through early on in your life with your parents sets you down this path and it was kind of one of those things where you're like i want to learn from their mistakes and do better so i mean from my vantage point just listening to you that's what i got out of it and and i've done that to you know extent as well you know through my parents um one of the questions i had is i mean you're going to school you're doing all this financing stuff you can go out and uh what I consider the real world and get a job that way you kind of took a right turn maybe a left turn whatever turn you took and you became a firefighter where where did that fit into the picture I mean was that something you wanted to do too or just the opportunity was there and you went for it it was something
1: that I never even considered growing up it was not ever on my radar uh, but when I was a kid my father and my brother and I we did a lot of deer hunting and we'd always go down to deer camp for the weekend and some of the guys down there were career firefighters and I mean these are just some of the coolest dudes i had ever ever really met I mean they're just level-headed guys good guys they'd you know give you the shirt off their back that's just kind of the kind of guys they were and I didn't really put two and two together at the time growing up their profession and the type of person who typically does that profession and and those types of things but I you know I thought it was I thought they were good uh, people to emulate as far as being just generally nice people and um, as I was in going through college I started getting to a point where like you know I think I was a sophomore maybe a junior in college I'm thinking about what's the next step? You know, I've been dating my, my wife now, but we had been dating for a few years and thinking long-term, what am I going to be doing? And everything I thought I could do with an economics degree largely made my stomach kind of turn over. Like I didn't realize that, uh, financial planning was a big thing at the time. There's, you know, there's a lot of things I just didn't know, but I just imagined going to an office, Punching the time clock, whatever, and sitting behind a desk, and it just didn't seem exciting to me. I wanted to, I wanted to have more of an impact, I guess, and I didn't know how how to do that. And it was actually a, a good friend of mine, uh, my, my best friend growing up. I don't know for whatever reason, his dad mentioned you should just go be a firefighter one one day. He said that to me, and I was like. Maybe I will. <laughs> and then I started thinking about those guys that I grew up around, and uh, I was like, you know what? They always seemed to like their job. They had some, you know, time off to spend with their family, go deer hunting. They, I never heard them say a bad word about what they did. They seemed pretty into it. And I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll apply. I'll hit them up, see if they'll give me a a uh, recommendation. I'll I'll apply and see what it's all about. So I started doing some research into it and. You know, that's that's like a total opposite story for a lot of people. A lot of people grow up but that's like their that's all they ever wanted to be. You know, it's a passed down kind of family thing. Wasn't it at all for me. It was just I didn't want to do a boring sit at a desk job and I thought being a fireman would be a hell of a lot cooler. <laughs> that, that was it. That was my you know, great story of getting into the fire service.
0: And instead of being a plumber or landscaper, you you can do the financial planning on the side. Because we all have side jobs, essentially.
1: Well, and that's what I started to notice when I got, you know, your, your first, for us, first 18 months, because we go from, you know, we call it from zero to hero. You go from having no training to becoming firefighter one and two certified, then, you know, you end up being paramedic certified and that's required now at my department. But once I got done with that process, which is a very lengthy process and it always blew my mind because there's a lot of people up there bitching about being at the fire academy, and I showed up day one with the attitude I've been paying for college for the last five years, and this organization is paying me to get an education now I'm in <laughs> A lot of these folks didn't go to college that were you know maybe they did, and they dropped out or whatever, but they didn't know how expensive that was, and then I'm coming into this organization that's now paying me to become a more qualified human being more you know uh, have find a new skill set which these things apply in all sorts of areas a lot of firemen think that you know being a fireman is just oh it's just being a fireman no they're like these skills transfer in a lot of areas and I was lucky enough to get into an organization that was going to pay for me to get all these certifications and skills and man I was just I was happy to do it. Like I will sit in a classroom for you 40 hours a week and learn everything you want me to learn. If you're going to pay me to do it, I'm good with that.
0: Let me ask you this regarding that, that training. Cause I, I go back to my training and it was actually it's still, I'm pretty sure the same stuff now that last week, excuse me, that last week is kind of a, we're going to throw everything at you. You're basically done, but we got one more week with you. And that's when you see the union come in. That's when you see, um the, uh, Aflac person come in, uh, you know, our credit union person come in and, and our so deferred that, comp person come in. Yeah, did you know have a, this. Uh, did you have a similar, like, Hey, uh, you know, here's so-and-so from whatever company to talk about that kind of stuff. So this
1: was something that to this day, it gets under my skin. And, um, I was lucky at the time because you know, I had just got done, I I got hired at the fire department the day I walked across the stage for my graduation from college, like, I got done graduating, and I got a phone call, said, hey, you're hired, fantastic, what day do I need to be there, you know, it was like, there was no lag in between, so I'd only been out of, like, I graduated from college December 13th of 2013, I started January 6th, 2014 at the fire academy, and, uh, so a little bit of time in between there, but we showed up day one and, you know, there's always some admin stuff to do. I think we went to uh, fire headquarters and like got sworn in and all that kind of stuff. And then we ended up going to the administration center and largely just going through HR check boxes and they're going over um, HR policies and eventually we get around to benefits and the guy at the time that he worked for the uh, third party administrator of our workplace retirement plans. And, you know, he's, he's very well versed in the ins and outs of these actual plans, meaning some of the tax code stuff, the rules and regulations around 457s and 401s, but he's not an educator. He can't give you any advice. And I was lucky that I came into this, uh first week with a a plan already in place. Like I knew my wife and I were gonna I was saving for a ring at the time. I knew we were gonna end up getting married. I knew we were gonna pay off our debt. I like I knew we had all these things coming down the pike. I had already been listening to a lot of personal finance stuff leading up to this point. So I had a very good understanding of how to think about making money decisions. But they pretty much put the paper on the table and said, we need you to fill this out and have it back tomorrow. And uh, for anybody who's in a 401A, a money plan, you make a decision on how much you're going to contribute and you're locked in. You can't change that. Uh, and for our plan, you're allowed to select two and a half, uh, two and a half percent of your income, five percent of your income, 5% of your income, or 7.5% of your income. And once you select that, you're done. You can change your 457, but your, your 401 is, is one and done you're locked in. There's no going back. And for, you know, an 18, 19 year old young man or woman coming into the fire service, who's pretty fresh out of high school, never even thought about probably barely even had a job before, never thought about personal finance. They're probably still living at home, making decisions that are going to affect them 30 and 40 years down the road without any education around it just made me freaking sick to hear. And not that I was you know, some beacon of knowledge at the time, but I was five or six years ahead, living on my own, had to figure out how to budget and pay for, you know, save up, pay for a ring, and do all these kinds of things that just put me the uh, little higher skill set in making financial decisions at the time. And I'm looking around the room; and these folks have no help. They're asking questions, and they're not getting any answers whatsoever. And that was the first week, and that was just an experience that to this day has not sat well with me. And if anybody ever has any questions about their workplace retirement plans, feel free to reach out to me. Yes. I, you know, I I own a financial planning company where I work with firefighters one-on-one, but the vast majority of firefighters don't need personal financial planning. They just need a little bit of uh, advice to move them in the right direction. So, don't hesitate to reach out if you have any specific questions. Like I'm willing to help firefighters in any way I can make sure that they're making good financial decisions. And I've talked to a lot of firefighters on my podcast or just personally over the years. This is something that happens at every department. They show up, say, hey, we need you to fill out this paperwork, figure out your benefits, whatever. Whatever. And, you know, if you're a career changer where you're coming into this thing, you're, you know, 30, 35, 40 years old, career changer, you've already familiar with 401ks and benefits and medical benefits, like whatever, no big deal. But to the 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old who's fresh out of high school or college, never really worked any professional jobs for, that is a ginormous decision to make with absolutely no education around it. And our public school systems aren't doing it. Our colleges aren't doing it. And it's it's a, it's a severe disservice to your employees uh, of your organization if you don't find somebody to give them that education where they have to make such large decisions.
0: Now, I want you to pretend along with me. Sure. I love pretending. Put your acting skills on. I'd say role play, but then you'd probably think kinky shit and everything else. But no. I can go uh, get a
1: wig or something if you want.
0: <laughs> so... You know, I, I have the opportunity to come into our recruit class and, and talk cancer and some behavioral health stuff and all that kind of things. So, and my time's limited, very limited. And uh, what I wanted to do with you is I want to tag you in. You got five minutes for these new recruits to paint the picture of what they're going to be up against in the financial world and, and encourage them to make some, um, some steps today towards that future that'll be helpful but you got five minutes because that's probably about all they're going to give you anyway what would you come in and say I'm, I'm putting you on the spot sure I already know I'm going to put you on the clock I don't even need five minutes <laughs> <laughs> well
1: alright uh, pretty much when you come into at least where I work I don't know how it is everywhere, everywhere else but they take a picture of you Pretty much day one for your id badge you need to scan in and out of places whatever it's a government entity so they have a picture of you and what i would like to do is i'd like to get a picture of everybody in their recruit class put them through an aging app to show them at age 65 or 70 and go through one by one and put their picture today and say is that you yeah yeah that's me who's that go to the old picture um I think that's me go through probably not all of them because I would take a while and just impress upon them the fact that the person that they are making decisions for today is that person that's old and wrinkly and it's not somebody different. It's them. It's not, you know, when you see an elderly person, especially when you're younger, you're largely disconnected from them because you can't imagine what it's like to be that person. You're so, you're so far out, you can't make decisions in their shoes. You're squarely stuck in your shoes. And making retirement decisions at age 20 about how much you're going to put away is making decisions for that 75-year-old grizzled you know, veteran of whatever job they ended up doing for however long. And it's them. It's just them in a different point in their life. And studies have shown that if you can equate those two people into one person as opposed to viewing them separately, you'll end up putting more away for your retirement because you found this connection with who you're going to be. And every one of us is going, you know, (laughs) nobody here has probably ever looked at a mortality table that the Social Security Administration uh, puts out. But you can go look at a mortality table and it will show you how old they expect you to live to. And you know, I'm 30 years old. If I look, pulled up a mortality table, it would probably say I could expect to live with, you know, a 95% confidence rate to be 75 or 80 or whatever
0: the number is. Who knows? Then you take off like 10 years for being a firefighter. Then you take off something
1: there. Yeah. Cause these are for average people, but you have to make financial decisions on day one for that person not for who you are today. Uh, I don't know who said this, but you can't sacrifice who you could be for who you are today. And when you're making financial decisions on day one and recruit school, and you're not willing to save for retirement, you're sacrificing who you could be for who you are today. And that's unacceptable. And that's all I tell. I mean, that that would be the intro, maybe. (laughs) I would, I would then go into a lot of educational stuff about 401As and 407Bs and what the options are and all sorts of other cool stuff that I find very interesting.
0: No, but I, I agree that you have to paint the picture, uh, the big picture of what they're up against. It is a big picture. Just like, you know, when I talk about cancer, it's the decisions they make now is going to affect them in the future. There's yes. absolutely some parallels with that.
1: 100%. And you won't ever see it coming either, which is the same thing with the cancer. You know, you, like uh, you can make all these great decisions now that cause you to never get cancer and you don't know if they had an impact or not. But you can make all these bad decisions over 20 years and all of a sudden it pops up. And it's kind of the same with personal finance, except you can see it a little more if you pay attention. But compound interest is something that just takes off over time. Uh, Naval Ravikant, somebody I follow, he's a early stage tech investor, VC guy, really, really smart guy. He says all the benefits in life come from compound interest, whether it's relationships, uh, business, financial, whatever, reputation, all the benefits in life come from compound interest. And if you start young, compound interest will just blow your mind away. I think as Ben Franklin said, it was a, you know, eighth wonder of the world or maybe it was einstein one of those very important figures and, you know they say those who understand it earn it those who don't pay it well i know way too many firemen who are paying it and not earning it and if you flip that coin and you start earning interest versus paying it you pay off in the long run is
0: just unbelievable how about the you know we just talked about the rookies let's talk about the uh the tweeners, the uh, the guys or gals that have a dozen years in, 15 years in, kind of halfway through their career, and then realize, oh, shit, I haven't really done anything yet. Uh, I probably need to think big picture. What kind of advice do you give them?
1: it's It's the classic line. When's the best time to plant a tree, 20 years ago or now? So if you haven't planted that tree yet, it's time to get started. And that may not mean investing right off the bat. Like there's so many other things that are so important when it comes to personal finance that, you know, investing is quite often not the number one priority. If you have, you know, $20,000 in credit card debt where you're, that you're paying 18% on, holy shit, that's step one. Like get rid of that today because that's a guaranteed return. And this is where people don't, they get very skewed when it comes to, Well, should I pay off debt? Should I pay off or should I start investing? Whatever. Investing is unknown. You don't know what kind of return you're going to get. You know, just a couple months ago, the market was down 30%. Nobody saw that coming. But when you pay off that 18% credit card, you're getting an 18% return. It's guaranteed. So to that person who's in that mid career and they realize, like, man, I haven't been focused on these things, it's like, okay, well, what are, what's, I like what uh, Jocko Willing says. We need to prioritize and execute. What's the number one thing that's going to move the needle for you financially? And if you get credit card debt, boom, it's paying that off. That's going to be a big freaking deal. And then you kind of, so you have to prioritize those goals. And then, like I said, investing might not be the number one thing there. There could be some things that are much more important. Like I think it's way more important to have a margin of safety, i.e. a emergency fund, than it is to start investing. Like there's nothing helps me sleep better at night and Knowing I have six months of money saved up
0: one of the the current times with everything we've gone over and you know um, I know both we we've been you and I have been fortunate in having spouses that are nurses and still working and we're obviously still working but uh, my gosh I mean that emergency fund that you talk about that could be huge for other people
1: yeah and that's it's just a classic principle that people overlook in good times like you know the last 10 years have been some of the some of the best economic years that we've had and i won't get in get into my feelings of the economics behind some of these things because i can get a pretty opinionated there but when things are good people don't you know they just feel like it's going to go on forever they're going to ride that high and keep on trucking but the next emergency, if, if there's anything that we should understand as firefighters and first responders, the next emergency is always right around the corner. And you can look back at history, and really we're just a blip on you know on the historical radar right now. But just since I've been alive, you know, 2008, 2001, coronavirus pandemic, that caused a, a severe pullback in the market. Um, there was a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of obscure things that happened in the 90s that unless you're kind of into the industry, you wouldn't have known, but almost tank the you know financial markets. But if you go back and start looking at all these bubbles and economic crashes, like they're always waiting, lurking in the shadows, just waiting for the the right kind of lollapalooza of things to happen to bring them on. And if you're not prepared for them, it's too late to prepare. Like uh, one of my one of my favorite sayings as far as financial planning goes is it's always better to prepare than to repair like if you're if, you know if you just change your oil and change the brakes and keep track of everything on your vehicle like it's pretty easy yeah you, you know you have to spend some money every few months maintain it but like you know you quit changing the oil fluids just stay in the car you know eventually you're gonna have some major repairs that engine's gonna crap out on you but when you prepare and you things coming and you're ready for them and you just maintain them over time. You never have any of those major repairs. And it's the same thing with, um, personal finance. Like, and maybe I have a, you know, a very personal experience with this because like, I know what it's like for my father to lose his job and have a family to feed and not have any margin of safety built into where you have to move into your, to, his mother-in-law's house like think about that my father had to move into his mother-in-law's house how many husbands want to go move in to their mother-in-law's house (laughs) i'll
0: be the first to say i don't want to (laughs) i love my mother-in-law i just want to put that on on the record
1: (laughs) yeah you want that on the record i love
0: mine too but i don't (laughs) want to go live with her i
1: mean i mean just and it's funny because like i was a kid at the time like i didn't even you're setting me up
0: my wife listens to this sometimes
1: (laughs) well you know i'm I'm, at at the time i was like oh okay whatever we're gonna go live with grandma for a year like whatever that's that's kind of cool but like now that i'm married and like we got a kid on the way and all this kind of stuff like oh shit like we moved in with my dad's mother-in-law like that's pretty heavy on a person when they lose their job and they can't take care of their family or that, you know, they have to make these moves to take care of their family. Extremely, extremely stressful. And it, it wears on you over time. So having that margin of safety to where, you know, okay, if I get hurt on the job or my wife loses her job, like we've got six months worth of expenses saved up in cash. I'm pretty sure most firefighters can find another source of income in six months when they're, you know, livelihood depends upon it. So that's, that's a pretty good feeling. And, you know, depending on your, I don't really like the term risk tolerance because it doesn't adequately describe how people feel when they lose a job or lose money or whatever. But depending on your comfortability with it, like, you know, maybe three months is okay. Personally, I like six months. If it really helps you sleep good at night, you could keep a year in expenses saved up. And like, dude, there's nothing like a good night's sleep. Like, what's the price of that?
0: (laughs) When you when you kind of discuss this with firefighters, especially early on, you know, you mentioned earlier about working a desk job and how you didn't want to do that. But there's I mean, there's a lot of people that do that. Sure. We certainly don't do that, at least not the lower ranks. Um, but our jobs which I think a lot of that was kind of immaturity at the time.
1: Like I didn't understand what having like I've worked in restaurants, like If you've ever worked in restaurants you're on your feet all day running it's crazy you're multitasking you're smiling and talking to people doing things so like a desk job to me just seemed like such a slow pace that I was like sure I didn't I didn't understand it at the time I didn't know like intellectual work was not on my radar even though I vastly prefer intellectual work actually now like I find it more interesting than than anything else yeah kind of a caveat
0: but talking about risk you know, the one thing that our job is, is not guaranteed as far as our health and wellness. Whether it's, you know, 15 years down the road, we get a cancer or we fall through, you know, floor, whatever it may be. I mean, um, I've had, and again, just like you, I, I feel like I've learned through a lot of experiences of other people. There's a lot of mess ups that I've had and where I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna learn from that and not do that again. But I've, I've been smart enough to watch other people go through circumstances and, and basically go, all right, well, I'm taking note because I don't want to do that myself either. And I see so many people who just, their whole plan is, you know, and I know it's different where you're at and in a lot of other places, but you know, where I'm at, we get our 25 years in and then we have the opportunity if we want to stick around for up to eight more years and do the drop program and essentially double dip, walk away with, I mean, a firefighter is going to walk away with $400,000 in the bank, you know, and then have a pension right when they retire uh, on top of that. So they bank on that and they make poor decisions up until that. But then right before that, they get injured. You know, they have a, have to get a new hip or whatever. They can't continue. And then the next thing you know, that plan is is gone and they're working in the back of a a kitchen somewhere. I mean, that's, uh, this, this job is not a guarantee. And that's why I feel like, and I know you, you preach about it, but you have to do everything you possibly can to make sure you're set early on because you just, you just don't know, not just for you, but also for your family. So my view on that is that you've, there's all
1: these things that are, within your, what I call, or what Stephen Covey calls your circle of influence. And there's your circle of influence, which is all things that you can directly control. And outside of that is your circle of concern, which is like, you know, department politics or uh, the economy, presidential race, whatever, all these things that you cannot control. But the things that are certainly within your circle of control, you can, they're 100% within your control. And some of those things are, are you going to pay your freaking house off? Like when you pay your house off going into retirement, what, what other, like if you absolutely had to just skimp by on a, on a public safety pension that may not be what you thought it was going to be without your, your drop funds in there. Like, what could you live off of? Like how much would it take if you didn't have a mortgage?
0: You're talking about uh, utilities or talking uh, taxes and insurance. I mean, it's a thousand it's, bucks a month. It's a pretty minimum. Very, very small. And,
1: and you can actually still live like a very nice lifestyle. Like you can eat, you know, like most firefighters like to cook. So, like, that, that's a plus right there because you don't have to go out to eat every night. Like, we're, we, our whole career, we spent cooking in the firehouse. So, like, boom, okay, that's a money saver. But it, it's, you have to plan for these things that you can control. And the expenses, like you're, if you're coming into a set income, like you know what it's going to be. Your pension is not that pensions are uh, infallible because they are going through a lot of issues across they've, this country.
0: Clearly, they've they've changed already, and you know the time period I've been in it's the last twenty yeah. years. So, and that's going to
1: continue happening. There's a lot of concern over the viability of long-term pensions, and uh, that's a conversation that pensioners need to start having with somebody because what happens when your pension goes away and that's where I am very happy that I'm not in a pension because I feel like I have much more control over my financial future versus a pension which you largely don't somebody else is managing that money for you it was a great benefit in the past I I truly think it was it was a wonderful idea but as things grow and these bureaucratic entities turn into what they are today the pension is an unsustainable thing for a lot of places. So a lot of pensioners need to be having a conversation of what happens if my pension was not there, what are we going to do? What other money do we have? But a lot of it comes down to what can we control? We can keep our expenses very low. And I'm not saying that you want to live some bare bones lifestyle in retirement, but you know, if you don't have a mortgage and you have a nice pension, like just say you retire and you're making $5,000 a month and you're uh, you know, from your government pension and your bills amount to about a thousand dollars a month that's $4,000 a month that you can go do whatever the hell you want with. Like you don't have to really live a, a, a skimpy lifestyle, but what a lot of people do is they get to a point to where, and this is where I feel pretty strongly about the 30 year mortgage and how it's just a freaking travesty. Cause you think most people buy a 30 year mortgage around about the time they're starting to have a family, 25, 30 years old. So they, you know, a lot of people are in that first home for a couple of years. They buy the next one around age 30, 35 and then they buy their forever home around age 40 or 50 at their highest income earning years they're ever, they're ever going to have. And that means if you buy your forever home at age 50, you're going to have that mortgage until age 80 unless you pay it off early, which most people don't do. And that is well into your retirement. So if you are not thinking long term about how you're going to pay this mortgage off early and get it gone before you retire, you're gonna, most of your pension check is going to be going towards paying off that house. So you have to be very thoughtful about these things. And that's what I'm saying. Just focus on the things that are well within your control. And a big part of that is the expense side of the equation.
0: Nice. Well, you make me feel better about a lot of my decisions, you know, 15 year loan, biweekly payments. I mean, really it takes about 12 years to pay down.
1: Yeah. And the biweekly thing is something interesting that a lot of people don't even think about, you know, if you want to pay your, your mortgage off early, you could just, you could make the same, you know, take your monthly payment, divide it in two, and you make that payment bi-weekly. It ends up being 13 payments a year because like, you know, we get paid bi-weekly at my fire department. So that ends up being uh, 26 paychecks. You divide that by two, that's 13. So you end up making an extra month's payments every year. So you knock off a couple years right there. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Well, I wanted to, uh, now it's my turn to do the 25 questions to you not that we're going to get over 25 questions but you finally get to pick them and uh and then we'll we'll let you get some plugs in some more plugs you already threw some in that was pretty slick of you but but, uh all right how about you pick a number one through 25 we'll go with 25 favorite professional sports team uh, I'd have
1: to say the Atlanta Braves. I grew up in the heyday of the Atlanta Braves, man. Like, uh, Glavin and. Uh, the first 15 years of my life, we were division champs. You know, it's like, that's a big deal. Yeah. So, yeah, Glavin, Smoltz, uh, you know, Lavery, Chipper Jones. Like, those guys are my heroes, man. Like uh, that. Those, those are the only sports jerseys I own, are those guys. And to be honest with you, I've largely fallen off the sports map since they kind of fell from their their greatness. So I was a big time baseball player growing up. It was my favorite sport. And, uh, I was pretty good at it. So I always, you know, I was constantly watching the Braves growing up and they were, it was just awesome to see them have the run that they had. And, you know, there's, I don't know, many other sports teams that have had runs like that.
0: No, no, they were good. Uh, I remember seeing a lot of them too. Thanks to, uh, old TBS back in the day. Oh yeah, Just like I, I could watch, um, the Braves being on TBS and the Cubs being on WGN about more than my Cincinnati Reds back back in the day. Now that's all different now, but that's the, that's the difficulties of a small market team. Yes, exactly. All right. Pick another number. Let's go with 11. That's my lucky number. Who would play you in a movie regarding your life?
1: <laughs> I don't know who would play me from a realistic standpoint, but I used to always get this from people at, um, when I was waiting tables, they'd always be like, oh, you look like that one guy. And I'd be like Stifler. And they'd be like, yeah, every time. (laughs) (laughs) People people always told me I look like Sean William Scott. And they'd always say it the same way. They'd be like, oh, you look like that one guy from that one movie. And I'd be like Stifler. (laughs) That's always who it was. So I guess Sean William Scott might play me. I don't know. That's funny. Cause I see it. It's true.
0: Yeah. That's what everybody told me. (laughs) All right. How about another one? sure i'll go all day pick a number uh let's go with uh two all right this is important i debate this with my wife all the time i like debates just ask my captain <laughs> <laughs> all right the toilet paper holder okay is it over paper over or the top under? Over, over the top all right you and i are on oh, the same page yeah all the, do you have that the, fight
1: with your wife Now we're on the same page with that. Yeah. I mean, that was like, uh, on the, um, application for marriage. (laughs) All right. Oh, hell let's do another one. Uh, let's go with number five. Favorite quote. See, now that one I cannot truly answer because my quotes are constantly changing. Um, Right now, I'm reading a lot of Charlie Munger, and if people don't know who Charlie Munger is, he's Warren Buffett's longtime partner. He is a uh, he's all about multidisciplinary thinking, which means taking like the big ideas from every area of life, so like engineering, physics, mathematics, finance, whatever, and putting them into this mental this lattice. He calls it a lattice work of mental models, and using those basically like a checklist whenever you're faced with a difficult decision to try to make the the best decision you can. And something he always says that if you don't want to take this multidisciplinary approach, you're like a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. And that's been on my mind a lot lately. (laughs) I don't want to be a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest when that ass-kicking context is, uh, you know, long-term success and just life. So I'm trying to follow the uh, the Charlie Munger approach of studying all the major disciplines and getting as well versed as I possibly can to make quality decisions for the long term. Nice, very nice. Well, I think that'll do that. But another one that I've got written on my board right here. I try oh, to bonus,
0: get a, a bonus one. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, th- this is actually a very important thought that people uh, underestimate, but Charlie Munger says it's one of the most important things to him and Warren's success. Says it is remarkable how much long-term advantage people like us have gotten by trying to be consistently not stupid, instead of trying to be very intelligent. So he's got this idea that uh, he thinks it's based on a mathematician named Jacobi. I think he was a real big in like the algebra world back in like I don't know the 16 or 1700s. And he had this thing, he said, invert, always invert. And what he meant by that was you have to look through problems forward and backwards. So Charlie Munger is famous for saying, and this is a, he quotes somebody else that said this, that, uh, you know, all I want to know is where I'm going to die. So I'll never go there. And that's kind of that uh, addition by subtraction kind of thought at uh, what Nassim Taleb would call via negativa, where I think about this from a personal finance standpoint what would I have to do to be unsuccessful financially? Just avoid those things. Like that's a, that's a thought, uh, experiment that everyone should do. What do I have to do to be unsuccessful financially and write down the five or six things that come to mind and just don't do those things. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to end up better off than most people.
0: Nice. Very well said. Very well. Um, now where can our listeners go to actually track you down and, Kind of stalk you and find you. Yeah, couple you can di- find couple in a couple different lot.
1: places, couple places. So I've got uh, my own podcast called the Twenty Four Forty Eight Podcast, which Jim has been a guest on. I had a great conversation with him. I think it aired what two weeks ago, something like
0: that. Yeah, you actually get to hear me just talk a shit ton. Yeah, is, it's on. I, I the try to limit, Mike. I try to limit myself uh talking when I do these shows. I know sometimes I don't do very well with that, but well, with yours, I was just like blah 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 blah.
1: And that's how I felt on, on this side of it. It was kind of interesting to, you know, most of the time on the podcast, I'm not, I'm doing kind of what you said. I I, I probably talk a little bit more than I should on mine because uh, I'm an opinionated person. You're not going to keep me from talking. That's just is what it is, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, you definitely talk less on the other side of the microphone. So it's fun to do this because a lot of those things that I talked about today, like, they're most of the time, just thoughts in my head. So being able to get them, I find that when you can put things down in multiple kind of modalities of thought, so whether that's, you know, write it out, think it through, and then speak it, you're going to find all these weird connections and things that you would have never thought, you would have never found them otherwise unless you kind of thought it through in all those different ways because they're all different neural pathways that you're processing information. So it's important to, you know, a lot of people have one thing that they're, good at like a lot of people are good speakers or good writers uh, the reason I started the 2448 podcast is because I wanted to be a better speaker I wanted to be a better conversationalist I wanted to be a better listener and that's kind of my selfish reason to go about doing it there's a lot of other reasons but I was like you know it's going to be a lot of fun to do and uh, there's a lot of overlap in our podcast as far as um, my you know my thought process behind mine is that we spend too much time Uh, my department and your department, they both work 24, 48 schedules. We're on the same shift, but our 24 hours on rolls over into our 48 hours off most of the time. And in order to be the best you can be on that 24 hours on, I think people need to better develop the other areas of their life, meaning the 48 off, like uh, you need a mental break from the fire service. Uh, You know, if that's all you're, you're doing constantly in your mind, like it's, It can be very difficult. It's a very stressful job and everybody's different. You know, that might mean some people need to only think about the fire service, you know, 48, 24 versus 24, 48. But me personally, like when I, you know, I I do this podcast with folks and we're talking about the fire service, but like this is a mental break for me. Like I'm doing something different. I'm having fun doing it. And it's, uh, you know, outside of the financial planning, it's, it's a great way to break up the monotony of going on shift every third day. So That's what that's all about. It's about finding success inside and out of the fire service because I don't want to see firefighters get so caught up in the job and let other things fall by the wayside, whether it's their finances, their families, their friends, whatever it is. And they get so far into this career and the career lets them down. And then what's left? Because you've let your family, your friends, and your finances fall away. And at that point, you're left with nothing. So I, I love going to work every third day. But it's not the end all be all. It's not everything. There's so many important things in life, and just like Charlie Munger is all about multi-disciplinary and thinking, we need to be multifaceted in our life. So we don't just need to be, you know, uh, one one hit wonders. So that's kind of what that's all about. Sure. You can also find me at uh, www.forwardfocusfp.com. That is my financial planning company, where I help firefighters define their goals, create a plan, and take action. Uh, those are you know, pretty much the two areas. You can search for those across any social media platform. I think uh, on Instagram, I'm firefighting fin planner uh, on Twitter, the fire fin planner, Facebook, you can search for the 2448 podcast or forward focused FP. I love to connect with space. people. My space. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have a profile out there somewhere, but I, there's no telling what that looks Christian like. Christian Mingle. Yeah. Or or farmers farmers only. only. Yeah. I heard you and Travis house talking about farmers only. We did.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's why it was on my head. Um, you can't,
1: can't find me in farmers only, but, uh, definitely find me in all those other places. And like I said earlier, if you have a question, like just because I have a business doing financial planning, doesn't mean that I can't help you in some small way. So if you have a question and I'm looking at ways to increase resources for firefighters that you know, maybe don't want to sit down and work with a financial planner one-on-one. Um, this is, you know, a long, a long-term thing that I'm working on. It's not, don't expect it anytime soon, but I'm working on developing resources specifically for firefighters to help them manage their money. And I'm looking at doing some things like maybe a, uh, a weekly Facebook Live, Instagram Live, have people either call in or text in questions that you know I can answer specifically for people. So, if that's something that any listeners might be interested in, like please send me an email if you have a question uh, on my on the twenty four forty eight podcast. Every Tuesday I release an episode with a guest, and you know that's whatever they really want to talk about. But every other Friday, Paycheck Friday for us, I release something called Making Ends Meet, which is all about personal finance. Uh, So if you have any questions, topics you want covered, email me Matthew at the 2448podcast.com and I'll cover it in a show. Like I'm more than happy to answer questions because I mean, the show is for your benefit.
0: A few things to piggyback on that. You have a lot of different articles and blogs on your website and you also have, I mean, you have multiple articles as well uh, on fire rescue. Yep. So for a guy who doesn't really didn't like reading books, now you're an author. So that's.
1: Well, I'll, I will say this that day that I walked into the library, that story I told, it literally changed my life. I've learned more in the last five years than I ever did. in, You know, 18 years of schooling, it's been unbelievable. And that's all been just on pure curiosity. And, you know, they say curiosity killed the cat. It happens a lot to firemen around the fire service. You get too curious about something. Then some chief comes, you know, knocking you down real quick. But, if you're curious about something, whether it's finance or it doesn't really matter what the topic is, go to the library, find a book, read like the, the resources are ridiculous. Podcasts, like education is not, there's no monopoly on education anymore. Education is, it's self education now. And, um, I had this conversation with, uh, Dr. Foreman the other day. who has been on your, on your podcast, Dr. Mark Foreman. And he was kind of doing a, almost like a psychological eval on me in the middle of this podcast, which was pretty fun. <laughs> but he, he, was, he was getting, it was a lot of fun. I had a good time doing it. He was getting at kind of the, you know, my why, what, what am I striving for? And this might sound like a big, you know, uh, you know, dollar-sized word or whatever, but I told him, I said, I want to be, my goal is to be an autodidact polymath. And what does that means is a self-taught, uh, a self-taught individual that is well-versed in across all areas of life. And that's like, that is a lofty goal and I'll probably never attain it, but that's what I'm always striving for. And that's reading and blogs and podcasts and whatever, like resources are ridiculous. If you're curious about something, follow it up until you lose curiosity, then find the next thing. What what was that word again? Autodidact polymath. Spell it. (laughs) A-U-T-O-D-I-D-A-C-T.
0: Polymath. Uh, Autodidact
1: just means uh, like self-taught.
0: I'm just messing with you. Yeah. um i did like the first time i ever talked to you we discussed your podcast and you know you you did just like you just said a minute ago about your meaning and i got to share with you the meaning of mine which i don't think i ever even put out here besides my wife i don't think anybody's ever knows like that you know and 25 live you know the 25 live obviously the fact that we're doing this live but the 25 to me is significant just based off of that's the number of years i have to do i got 25 years in and I earn a pension anything above that is just bonus but 25 years you know I've made it and I could walk away and do whatever else so yeah that's and the significance important. to me
1: and it's important to realize that that 25 is just a chapter like you know we're all in the middle of this story that we're a part of you know everybody we think about our lives as stories when you look back on it you know I told the story of my life everything we do is kind of story based and when somebody talks about experience, they always tell it as if it's a story. There's a clear beginning, middle, and end most of the time. And it's the same thing with our careers and our lives. You know, right now I'm in kind of the, uh, I guess, middle chapters of my early career. And I don't know where I'm going to go from here. But, you know, when you get to that end of the 25, it's it's just moving on to the next chapter. And you get to write it. And so it's important to have a lot of thought about what's next. You know, Jocko Willing talks about finding your next mission when you leave the military. It's the same thing with the fire service you need to find another mission that's going to serve you well into retirement so that you know you don't just go crazy sitting around the house like it's important to have that next step so me uh, doing 20, this 20
0: <laughs> this 25 this 25 that i'm in this period is setting me up for the next 25 exactly yeah and you that's know. long-term thinking thinking at its best health financial all that kind of stuff which you were a big part of that you're a part that we don't think about it but it absolutely is significant you'll so, think about it once you get there <laughs> that's for sure if, if you don't have the money to retire <laughs> yes and, and the sooner you get there too and I don't even talk to you about this is just you know every now and then being sent to when I was younger being sent to the old person station and you would just listen to those guys talk and talk and talk and talk and I mean it's yeah I picked up so much from just listening to them and and, um, you know, good things to do and also bad things to do. Yep. So I have that luxury at where I work to, we basically have an old person house that hopefully I actually get to, cause I'm getting to that point where I'm an old person, but I like uh, hanging out at the old person houses, man. You get a lot of wisdom there. So <laughs> I,
1: I like running calls at the young person's house, but lot just of, going and hanging out, you get a lot of wisdom,
0: a lot of grumpiness, but that's okay. All right. If well, you can,
1: if you can sort through the grumpiness, there's a lot of wisdom.
0: <laughs> oh, no, There's, there's plenty of times where I fit in. So <laughs> again, that. check out Matt on the 2448 podcast. It's, it's great stuff. I've listened to not every show I'm working on it, but just good stuff. Uh, he interviews. I mean, we really have the same perspective on a lot of different things. So it's, it's yep. good stuff. Even talking to some of the same people we have, you know, it's, it's like, uh, I may talk about this, but then he goes somewhere else and you get an even more complete package on that individual. So it, it you know, works out. We complement each other.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what uh, kind of led me to reach out to you on, I think it was on LinkedIn first. I saw, uh, Alexandra Jobber was on your show and I saw it and I was like, oh man, what's this guy doing? Clicked on it. And I was like, holy shit, we got a lot of overlap here. Yep. And I was like, boom, I got to reach out to this guy. And Well, it's nah. a, it
0: was, and it's the same thing I happened with really James Gearing, you know, the, the pod father of all this stuff. I mean, he's ahead of everybody. He's been doing Definitely the years. first responder pod father for sure. Yes. So, all right. Well, don't forget to uh, subscribe, review five stars. Um, Smash the this, five star button for sure. Yes. Yes. Six stars if you were in a Tokyo Dome. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an inside joke to all my wrestling fans but i try, i really try to get a myspace and some kind of wrestling reference in every show it doesn't always work out but i got them both in on this one so nice glad i can help you thank you for your time i uh i appreciate everything you're doing sincerely thank you no man. no bullshit hey I'm, I'm
1: thankful to have the time to come and talk to folks like you that are focused on having a bigger impact on just the fire service than just going to work every day. Uh there's a lot of people who that's you know, not that it's a bad thing, but uh there's a lot of highly qualified individuals in the fire service that are extremely smart and have great messages and this platform is is uh, doing a lot of good things to to get those messages out to people. So
0: thank you very much. It's all about the big picture. That's right. The big picture. So all right. Well thank you for your time once again. And I'm sure I'll talk to you here soon. Yes sir.